Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... There it Hey, y'all, it's Dave from Dadville. Hopefully by now you know that Dadville is a wonderful, fun side gig for John and I as we're both actually singer-songwriters in our real life here in Nashville. And speaking of singer-songwriter, I want to tell y'all about my latest release, Remembering Greatest Hits Acoustic. Over the last few months, I've been releasing some of my favorite songs I've ever recorded, and you can hear them all right now. That's literally right now. It has been so fun hearing these stripped-down acoustic versions of songs that people know and love. These are the songs that helped me build my career, and I'm so excited to share them with y'all in a new way. So, if you can, and you will, and you want to, go check out Remembering Greatest Hits Acoustic, available now. Garrett, are you so excited right now? I... I hope that you're as excited as I am nervous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a 50-50 shot of this going well or terribly. <laughs> That's higher. Yeah. Honestly, That's higher than, than, I, than I thought. <laughs> you were thinking, yeah, I don't think there's a real middle ground on how this could go. <laughs> um, it's either going to go swimmingly well. Um, give me a high five. High five. It's good to see good you. Good to see you, bro. Good to see um, you. We, folks, this is, uh, I think this is, this is a monumental moment for us at Dadville yeah. because Barrett is um, one of mine and John's closest friends. And so there's going to be a lot of discipline we have to have today because it's probably going to be about a five-hour interview. And I want you to be okay, Are you okay with that. Perfect. Yeah, you I'm said, dead. You've said as long you've as you got my, the rest of the week. As long as you got my writer. Did you guys get my writer? <laughs> we did. Like the person who writes for you? Uh, I needed – I wanted Derek Jeter here. <laughs> In spirit, he is here. Yeah, he's a little bit of everywhere. He's the captain. He is the el capitano. I'm really proud that I actually know who that is. I was going to say, John. Yeah. John's still being in this conversation. Who is it, John? Prove he's that out. He's the guy that, <laughs> that uh, played the baseball. He is the guy. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Really small side. That documentary came on. We were at a restaurant the other night with the kids, and it was on like you know ESPN in the background. I forgot how many people played on the Yankees, like. For a year or two, like Wade Boggs, Tim Rain, there were all these players that I was like, "No, those guys didn't play for the Yankees, but they played for like a year during one of their championship seasons, and then we're gone again." Money will get you whatever you want, literally, in life, Dave. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you guys. That was where it was. We hope it's that's your takeaway from there. There's a little bit of wisdom. There and that's from you. a guy who started two different nonprofits. Everybody, so you heard him, and that is. His I am rethinking. He everything. learned those lessons As of this morning. You know. <laughs> um. You know what's funny is you actually have a brag sheet. I don't know that you knew this. I doubt it. You and I texted about this last night, and you were like, "I don't." There's nothing to say about me. If, but, if you Google Barrett Ward, a bodybuilder comes up. Well, that feels right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it feels really right. But you actually have a brag sheet, and I'm going to read it. And oh. This is this oh. is us honoring you. Oh. Okay. This was in my writer. I wanted you to <laughs> brag on me. Yes. And Derek Jeter, in his spirit, will celebrate this with us. Okay, founder and CEO of Able, a light which is a lifestyle fashion company whose mission is to end generational poverty, started the company in 2010 after he and his wife moved to Ethiopia. Mm. There's more, Barrett. Able launched with only three Ethiopian women making scarves. It is crazy to think about mm-hmm. that. Isn't that nuts? Um, after a PSA by actress Minka Kelly, they sold over 4,000 scarves in two months. That is amazing. Uh, before starting Able. 
uh, like spirit worked uh, <laughs> as a project we'll coordinator we'll for African Leadership and founded Mocha Club, which if anybody has seen me or John or Wirtz or a bevy of other artists, you have heard us talk wow. about um, Mocha Club live from stage, which raises money to help equip local African leaders to develop stronger communities. By the time he left Mocha Club, it had more than 10,000 contributors. That's amazing. This is by far my favorite part, though. Oh, boy. Because it's just... Can we read this together? Yes, unison? here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Won the GQ Leader Award. <laughs> GQ, folks. GQ. Didn't you meet Bono there? I got a skinny time. No, I met Bono in Ethiopia. Wait, I didn't know that. Dave, that's why we're here today. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to unpack. <laughs> Wait, I really thought... I thought the story the, was... The one, the one campaign came to visit our work in Ethiopia. Oh, okay. Um, With we, him. Uh, the the whole board was there Damn. having a board meeting, and so they all came by, and then we went to a party that night. And no way! Yeah. Wait, that board had I, to be pretty I, stacked. I did not though, know right? this story. It's pretty stacked. It's did you know board. the rest of the board, or at least I, who they were? I knew who they were. A, a lot of people like, in the space of NGO oh, yeah, right, work right, right, and mm-hmm. a few governmental people. Bono has the ability to attract people. <laughs> Just FYI, back to <laughs> money. <laughs> Makes all the difference. Wait, tell me of music. Tell me about that. So you you met him? No, I mean it was like oh, okay. you know, looking across the room, okay. walking closely, um, and then a guy put me in a chokehold, and I passed out. Um, and then yeah. Bono was waking me up, <laughs> yes. splashing water in my face. No, I just kind of waved at yeah. him, you know. But to f- be in the same room of him, with him in a small group was pretty spectacular. And, and so, but I mean, they're there to see y'all's work, though. It's not like you're just another guy in a crowd at a thing with him. I mean, obviously, they're there to see. They were there to see what you guys were doing. So it's not like you know what I'm saying. So yeah. Obviously, there was. I mean, they had a board meeting in Otis. But if we want to push the narrative that they were just there to see me, no, I'm saying for that. We can clip that. Why in. do you think they Keep scheduled the board meeting in? <laughs> That's Obama. right, just to see me. Yeah. Yeah, but it is, it is the kind of work that they wanted to see. You know, they, they, they believe in charity, but they also wanted to see work that was redemptive and was creating jobs for women. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's, that's yeah. why they came by. Yeah, so something we always love to ask is like after hearing that, you know, which I can't wait to hear your answer to this, but like what would 17 to like even 20-year-old Barrett think if I said, hey, I'm from the future, I'm going to read to you like what your life is like in the next That's funny. Like what what would what is what would he how would he respond to that? Well, I feel like we have a theme here and 17 to 21 year old Barrett would have said, "But how much money does he have? <laughs> <laughs> how much money did he get from that GQ Leader Award?" Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I grew up in Carmel, Indiana, right down the road from you, Johnny. Yeah. And that was it, man. We we I, I lived in an atmosphere that really made me think that money was it was thing. all going to be money. Wow! Yeah. For, for a context for the listener who doesn't isn't familiar with Carmel, Indiana, it would be. Can I say it's 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 the Beverly Hills of Indiana? <laughs> Indiana. Yeah. Right. Is it really truthfully? Yeah, it's like yeah. a it's a very like uppity sort of. I didn't yeah, know that. Where all the football do. players live. It is yeah. still Indiana. <laughs> oh, for we the are going to. Yeah, for sure. the Colts. But what what okay. were you supposed we to can... say to that question, by the way? Like, for the Colts? No, Dave, just football players move there. Just general oh, no, 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 football no. players. <laughs> just like amateur football players. <laughs> full of amateur, amateur hold on, football hold on. players. We did say it was the Beverly Hills <laughs> of Indiana. Somebody... 
Get somebody to find, please. Actually, Beverly Hills. What is an amateur football player? You know, just guys getting after it after work. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is that their slogan? Guys getting after it after work. Oh, Oh, man. That's going to attract an interesting clientele. Be weary of jumping on board any Any, train where that's the slogan. Wait, so Barrett, (laughs) this is funny because as well as I know you, I I didn't know that, that like... That one that that area is a little more affluent than others, but two that that was already being imprinted in your brain that young. Mm. That actually, I'm not kidding. Knowing you as well as I have for as long as I have, yeah, that it was that imprinted at a young age. I mean, that was all my 20s, right? Um, I uh, I kind of had one of those cataclysmic moments when I was 30 years old. Um, became a Christian. Yeah, believed in something outside of because because actually, I was reading in the Bible. Uh, you know the Bible. Uh, Matthew 25, what page? It, it talks what page about 482. <laughs> um, and it was uh, Matthew uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh-huh. And, Love that. Um, Love that section. And one of the things that it talked about is when you do things for man, like if you give in front of man or mm. pray in front yeah, of man, yeah. Yeah. do all those things, then you do it. Then your rewards are paid in full. But if you do it behind closed doors, you know, and we can all kind of sense that out. It doesn't have to be scripture to make clear a thought that um, if you're doing everything in front of men, then maybe your priorities are a little bit off. Right. And when I read that, I remember thinking to myself, is there any other reason to do things (laughs) than for the praise of man? (laughs) It was a monumental thought. And that really was the beginning of a journey wow. of like leaving that career and moving into nonprofit. So, so when when you were because you know you you worked for um, for Southwestern right. selling books door to door, which people listening to this that are our age are like, dude, I remember that. Either people that did that or companies that did that because you know it was like a hustle. You it was a hustle. It still blows my mind though that that you did it and that people are still doing it. It is. Easily the hardest job that I ever did. Yeah, but, for real. I mean, easily. But but when I, you know, for 12 weeks, I went out and sold books door to door 80 hours a week. I did I make, mean, as a junior about that in college. For a well, this is what's crazy. Walking door to door. Yeah, yeah. Knocking on people's doors, trying to sell them books. You guys, John, you would have been my number one buyer. You are. Hey, I would have. Barrett, is already, gift, Barrett, Barrett has done like a scan of you, and he's like, I know I every know. weakness. I know I exactly. Know. And the minute those two girls popped up in the background behind you in the door, Barrett's like, It's over. Deal, deal is <laughs> that was the key. That was the key line. Do you love your children? <laughs> no, I, it, it was actually a really good job. I mean, I, I learned a lot about myself during those times. I was a marshmallow kid coming out of Carmel. Uh-huh. Had a pretty easy existence up until that point. So all of a sudden... Having people tell me I'm not interested in you or what you're doing. Yeah. It was definitely wow. a feeling Sobering. of, I don't know. Hold on. I'm, Bar- I'm Barrett. <laughs> from Carmel? I'm from Carmel? There's a lot of you're amateur football players me. that live around me. Do you know me? Oh, my God. You should yeah. have invited me in by now. Like, I should have be always drinking a lemonade. You just, you just, they would over there. You just walk in. Like, Thank you so Parents much. Parents have so anyway. always loved me growing up. <laughs> What's wrong with you? So did you, did you, but you did that numerous summers, mm. but so, so again, I think this is so interesting retrospectively you did because you are such a conversational, like you are one of the most gifted sort of like communicators that I know. Like yeah. you are so good yes. at being with people. You're such a good conversationalist. I'm like, I can't imagine. I think I had a part of me that always assumed you did that job because yes, you know, obviously you could, like say, so you didn't finish your thought. How much did you make? 
Now, this is also how many years ago? 25 years ago? Um, it was, th- yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was 25 years ago. Lo- longer, man. Uh-huh. Yeah, actually, it was 30 years ago. Yeah. I'm 50. So, so, but how much did you, what was the most you I made? I mean, when I was summer? a junior in college, I made $43,000 in a summer doing in that. 12 in weeks. 12 weeks. Isn't that ridiculous? That is, that's crazy, but also, it ain't again, the average. You made that selling books door, door to, to door. door. Yeah. So, but that I, blows I, my mind. I think I just thought, you know, I know Barrett. I bet he did that one because it's sort of, you know, it's a little bit of like your sweet spot. Like you're really good with people, you're good at selling things. Um, and it was kind of an adventure, and sure, he made some money. But I guess, like, if we're tracing it more backwards, you're saying like that little decade, that twenty to thirty, is you going? I gotta get, I gotta get that cash. I gotta. So, get paid. so I loved um, the making of the money, um, <laughs> but the truth of it is, you know, it really was a mindset of the more that I accumulate the more I'm hitting my goals and the way to be happy in life is hitting your goals. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. And by the time I was 30, you know, what I realized was a couple of things. Number one, I wasn't happy. You know, mm. it wasn't making me happier. It wasn't filling in all the gaps yeah. that I wanted filled in. Because you were progressing in your job. I mean, you were. Yeah. I had grown in my career. Yeah. I was a sales manager, all those things. But that pursuit never led to a, de- a depth of happiness. The other thing was, and I talk to this to young people a lot. Is did you just, just say because the young people, the young people a lot these days? <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> these days. Oh boy. All you have to add to that comment <laughs> is these, these days. days. <laughs> um, but I will tell them, you know, just because you're good at something, that doesn't mean that's your calling or what you should be doing. Um, you can be good at more than one thing, yeah. and and really, my mindset, as juvenile as it sounds right now, was I'm doing financially very well. And I'm very good at this. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that I cry every day while I'm doing it, <laughs> right. this must be my calling. Um, what a fatalistic and so, sort of I know, dude. ideology. It, dude. It, looking back on it, it feels like a different person because it was. Hmm. But it was it, that was the foolish pursuit of the but 20s. Th- but there was a there was a underlying feeling of lack of satisfaction, like a very real sense of like this is not doing it. Yeah. And I don't know what will. And you and you were feeling that build. Yeah. In your 20s. Yeah. And then I heard that message. The message, you know, I mean, as crazy, you know, as crazy and radical as the thought was to me Mm. is, yeah, you got some things wrong with you, but you're still loved anyways. Mm. That that thought to me was not comprehensible because I I think inherently I believe the exact opposite that because of my failings, Mm. this is the distance between someone being able to love me or not. Wow. And I have to make up that distance. Uh-huh. Um, and that, that kind of message flipped that on its ear, right? John, we all love summer, and our oh, kids yeah. especially love summer, but yep. we lose that consistent schedule of when kids are in school. And that yep. can create some summer child care problems. You know what? Thankfully, though, Dave, <gasps> there's a solution. What? Windy. That's W-Y-N-D-Y. Listen, it's an app that connects families to college student nannies literally in minutes. These nannies are background checked, interviewed, and honestly, just awesome, Dave. That's right, John. And Wendy has been around for seven years and has been used by over 20,000 families. There are hundreds of qualified college student nannies on Wendy near you, working full or part-time. All you have to do is go to wendy.com slash dadville to start searching for a nanny. And as a special offer, they're going to knock off 50 bucks off your search if you go through that link. 
Wendy provides top-notch service, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional nanny agencies Ooh. and no ongoing fees. Okay, so here's how it works. Go to wendy.com slash dadville to start your search. A Wendy concierge will find great matches for your job and set up interviews for you. You can choose the one you like. Get started now because there are a lot of parents out there looking for nannies for the summer. That's right. Go to wyndy.com slash dadville. Hey Dave. Hey, what's up? So listen, I was I, just going straight. No, I know. I, yeah. I was. I like you're the foil. You I like fly. Yeah, I'll hey. stay on the ground. <laughs> Thank you for that. I know you can tell it because we've talked about it. Summer's almost over. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are re- getting ready. They're getting ready to go back to school, doing stretches, doing wind sprints in the yard. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, uh, how did you keep them busy over the summer? Like, it was you? tough, Dave. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. You know. Yep. We booked the the camps. Yep. You know the outdoor camps, yep. the indoor yep. camps. Yep. But what are they going to do for the other like ten weeks you know, out of the summer? Can you know? I tell you, please? That's exactly why I really dig out school. Out school uh, offers the widest variety of classes, so kids are free to learn about anything they can imagine, John. Mm-hmm. From video game design and entrepreneurship—that's a big word—to freestyle dancing, which was my life in middle school, <laughs> and magic lessons. So, if you were to teach an out school class, you know what would you say it would be? Ooh, um. Probably something about like soccer appreciation or oh my gosh, a really deep that. dive, pun intended, on Yacht Rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd go for something on the intricacies of, of latte Listen, art, every obviously. post, I'm glued, John. Uh, Out School provides a learning environment that's fun, friendly, and flexible so kids can connect with teachers and kids around the world through their shared passions, giving your child a whole community of new friends. You know, Out School will have your kids loving to learn mm. and having fun doing it. That's key, right? Mm, it is. Head over to outschool.com slash dadville and use the code dadville to learn all about OutSchool's summer programs and save $15, Ooh. not 10 no. people, not 12 Nope. $15 nope. on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash dadville to save $15 on your child's first class. OutSchool.com slash dadville, code dadville. You're, I do remember, this is right about when I was meeting you, which was crazy to watch because I don't know that I have seen in my life, and I know there's been much more sort of significant conversion moments for people, but for me, watching yours was so mm. cataclysmic. I mean, you literally, it was like, if people ever doubt the the potency of what a conversion is, I mean, to see you go from, because I knew you, I knew a little bit of you toward mm-hmm. the end, where it was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, we joke and call you Lexus Bear, but you had this really cool <laughs> Lexus, and I remember like being out with you, and you had no problem spending money. Like you were like, "Let's do it." We're eating at this place. What you need? I'm going. Sh-. I remember we were at the beach, and you went shopping for a watch or a wallet or something. And you we were went like, shopping together, yeah. You know, and you were just, and I was like, "Man, this guy's rolling deep." This you is know? fun. And then within a year. I'm collecting from Las Palmas everybody's plates yes. to get the leftovers. <laughs> Literally, because you, you... Which is the great part of Mexican food. <laughs> That's true. Let's be honest. Like, if you're yeah. in a bad spot, you yeah, go you to can... people, they fill up on chips. You have some more chips. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But and I mean, you, you very willingly, and that's, I think, the thing that's so compelling about this story, is that you went from like, you had this huge heart change where you're like, oh, money money is not going to be the thing that makes me happy. And then you, you quit your job. Mm. You start giving... I remember you sold your car. You downsized your car so that that it was just like I had a gold uh, station wagon. I, I loved 
that car, Oldsmobile. By the way. I loved that car. Yeah. Wait, you went from the Lexus to a gold station wagon? Yeah, but it was gold. You're but like, yeah, was, like it, I'll go to a station wagon. It has to be gold. Has to be yeah, gold. there has to be a remnant of my old life. Yeah. <laughs> and just a reminder of what could have been. I remember now, I the, remember driving down Hillsborough Road soon after I got that car. Uh-huh. And I saw some... I was a single guy. I saw some ladies walking down the sidewalk, <laughs> and I kind of looked over at them and smiled. I think in my mind, I was still in the still bucket in seat of my Lexus, yeah, yeah. and I they gave me a look like, no, sir. They were like, kidnapper. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, at, the t- at this time, are you driving the, my the station biggest wagon. station wagon yeah, ever yeah, made? Ever yeah, we yeah. would have races late at night. In Tulsa. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Dave used to drive this. It was a Buick Road Roadmaster. Master. I know this because my mom oh, had, right. had the had same one, car, yeah. but hers wasn't a station wagon. But but Dave's was wood paneled mm-hmm. on the side. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's right. So cool. It was a great. I would drive it, that car zero right to now. sixty in four minutes. Yeah. Well, that's why I felt so much simpatico <laughs> with you because I was like, Baird is coming. Now to, we're doing it. Baird is with me now. Mm. Yeah, he is. So so he when has you, fallen so far. So when you do, <laughs> that I have company now, <laughs> or has risen spiritually, <laughs> or has risen. Um, so when when you have this moment, which again was just fascinating to watch, did I can't remember? Did you did you know in that moment what you wanted to do next vocationally, and how did you work that out? Because you're going from a ideology that is very established, like get paid. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we so I did leave the job knowing that I wanted to start traveling around the world a little oh, bit wow. and seeing if there's ways that I could. Because you had done a mission trip, right? So I went on a mission trip with um, West End Community Church here in Nashville. Yep. And Mark Wiggins was on that trip. Yep. When we were, and when when I was there, I loved it. And there was definitely ways to help, but it didn't feel like what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And on the flight back, Mark Wiggins said to me, have you ever thought about traveling to Africa? And I said, no, but it really did feel like a light bulb. And mm. the long story short is I ended up taking a trip with African leadership to go there for a couple of months. And when I was there, it immediately felt this deep spiritual wow. home. Like this is where I'm supposed to be. Wow. You know, where, and you where was the first yeah. place that you went? Ethiopia, ironically. Oh, really? Uh, I went to Kenya, Ethiopia. You're like I hear that Bono goes to Ethiopia sometimes. <laughs> Let's start there. Didn't see him that time. Yeah. Yeah. But I have met him. I don't know. It's a big country. So, yeah. It's a big country. I can't imagine you just walk around going, no. Okay. No. It's coffee shop. Let's try the next place. It's all the nicest places. (laughs) Minatas. Where do rock stars hang out in Minas Obama? So then I went to Zimbabwe and South Africa. And And you obviously And you're with them the whole time. Did you, were you traveling with somebody? No. Just traveling around from, I, I was connected to people in those places. Oh, you would go see places. those. Okay, okay. But you're traveling with, by yourself. I was traveling by myself mostly, uh, and then stayed in South Africa for a month. It's beautiful there. Have you been to South I Africa? I actually haven't been. I know, obviously I've taken you Ethiopia there. is the only country I've been to in, in Africa. So when, as you're traveling by yourself during that time, are, are, what are you telling yourself that this trip is? I mean, that's it is a good question. I have to think back to it. I, I think my goal once I was there, I, I started seeing getting involved with women and children is something that I could get excited about. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so it was so that specific, like you, like those. It two was things. that became the clear trajectory over time. 
it wasn't like a real specific thought in my head, but when I was asked what I wanted to do, I, you know, I'm, I'm just not, I'm always stumbling into the next thing. Mm. I didn't intend Mocha Club. I didn't intend Able. And I didn't intend necessarily, like, my goal is to work with women and children for my life. But when I went back to the United States, Larry asked me, what do you want to do? I, the guy who runs, re- who was running who ran African, African leadership yeah. said, do you, what do you want to do? I said, I'd love to be in projects, you know, whatever mm-hmm. I could do to work in projects. Was that because when you were there, did y'all speak that, like, you go visit somebody and they'd say, let me tell you what we need here or what we're working on. Yeah. So it's kind of project based, like, right? Yeah. I spent a month at an orphanage in South Africa Mm. and, and, and just being amongst that culture was invigorating to me as well. Or Kyle Leach, I mean. Kyle Leach. Yeah. Wow. Dave. Come on, man. It's not good. It's not good. But yeah. So when I got back, I knew that's what I wanted to go into. With Timothy? What's that? Was Timothy running that? Or no, he was doing his church still. No, that was um, the man from Korea. Do you remember him? Yes, yes. And and when I was leaving, yes, God, um, was Young so was his name. Young, yeah. So when sweet. I was leaving, I loved this guy because I was looking for you know the most clear spiritual sign of what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And you know, I mean, I dated a girl once just because we had the same cactus on our windowsills. So I don't know if I'm good at interpreting you know uh, what yeah, God's will is wait, in my wait, life. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, yeah, that's true. I see. She had the same cactus. I was like, I so think we're supposed to be together, I I would love to know. She was also the woman that made me start thinking about going to church. I mean, hey, it works. But I just love that it wasn't like a beautiful. It wasn't. It was a cactus, which has to have some warning. Yeah, (laughs) but there's also like, hey, this is going to be a rocky road. (laughs) But there's water in there. There is water, but there's a little bit, just (laughs) just just enough to keep it alive. So I sat down with Kim and I asked him, I said, with young. or young Kim, I said, you know, how do you make a big decision in your life? Hmm. You know, I'm looking for the sign. How do I hear the sign? And he said, you know what? I choose three things. If I think all of them are from, you know, God, A, B, and C, A, and I don't know which one he wants me to do. Maybe I'll choose A. Maybe I'll get to heaven someday. And God will say, you know what? I really wanted you to do B. But A was pretty good, too, because hmm. it was also... Uh, yeah. for, for me. Uh-huh. And so that kind of took some of the pressure off yeah, having yeah, to yeah, land yeah, like yeah, on this yeah. perfect place. And instead just to get in the game. Yeah. Just be a part of, of service. Hmm. And that's, and then, so did you, I can't remember this either. Did you start Mocha club quickly there or were you doing projects and then eventually? Well, I was doing projects and trying to hold fundraisers too. And that's right. you know, put about six months of work into this one fundraiser and raised $38,000. And was like, man, there's gotta be a, <laughs> Better way to do this. <laughs> you used to make that in twelve weeks. You're like, right. oh, I know how I'll do it. Yeah. I'll go sell some books. <laughs> yeah, for a yeah. summer. <laughs> oh man, uh, there's no way I was going to get back into that. Um, so I, that's when Mocha Club came up. We actually took a group of people. Alan Perry was on that trip. A few mm-hmm. friends were on that trip, and we went to Eth- or went to Kenya, and we went out to the Maasai Mara, mm-hmm. and we did all that. And we traveled, but one of the biggest things I heard from them was, man, I don't feel like I can make a difference. Mm. You know, they felt like anything that they would do would be a brick in the Grand Canyon. And, you know, the truth of it was, they also felt like the things that they could contribute to, like maybe compassion at the time or $38 a month was beyond their financial bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And so we started Mocha Club as a concept. The genius 
to show you the level of genius and strategy I had behind it, we started it by asking people to fax us their credit card numbers mm. and that I would start charging it on a monthly basis, $10 a month. Um, and a couple people did do that. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. <laughs> they were my mom uh-huh. and uh, uh-huh. your mom. Uh, <laughs> she loves a fax. But no, so so the the idea was we called it the cost of two mochas or, or the mocha club, the cost of two mochas yeah. a month. And the idea was is that, you know, we could show people, hey, look, for $7 a month, you actually can have an impact. You can give clean water at that point. You could give clean water to seven people for a year mm. for $7. Mm. Or you could put two children in school in a semester in Zimbabwe for a semester in Zimbabwe for $7. Mm. So that message resonated. I think the other thing that we did was I had seen this new thing that you were very popular on called MySpace mm. and thought to myself, well, this is never going to die. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is perfect. This is it. So <laughs> we we built an online community where people could invite their friends and that kind of went viral. And of course, you know, I'm kind of skipping some steps here because the real step of it is you and I and Matt were sitting in my front living room over mm. on Gilmore. Do you remember that? And we were sitting there talking about, well, what could we do with it? How do we, what if we were to try to take this faxing website <laughs> and do something different with it? Mm-hmm. I'm picturing the three of you guys just sitting around, like sitting on the floor around the fax machine, just waiting for, yeah, just like, come on, another fax. Your turn to pray. Checking Matt. the connection. Like, Matt, is it you on? pray this time. <laughs> <laughs> But actually, Wirtz was like, well, what if we take it on the road? And Dave was like, yeah, let's do it. And before we knew it, we were on the road in Ohio running out of gas. But um, there's a long distance between gas stations in Ohio. Yeah, if you're yeah that's kind yeah. of their thing. Um, <laughs> but then started, you guys started talking about it from stage, and that's where it really blew up. And over I the mean, years, anyone who was at a Dave Barnes or Matt Wirtz show between, I don't know, 2000. Four and two thousand nine, ten, yeah, whatever. That's about right. That's about right. Yeah, I did a tour. I mean, Dave, you and I have played lots of shows together, but I did this one tour with Wirtz in two thousand seven, and it was like the longest tour ever. It was like sixty three shows or something like that. And he he would do the Mocha Club talk every night. Every night. And totally I mean, that familiar. guy like he put. It was like that was the most important thing to him about. Each show was giving the Mocha Club I'll, talk. I'll never forget. Like, I, you know, there was, I think maybe even you came to the show, Barrett. And there were, like, it got to where it would, I would do it for 15 minutes. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, like, I I cried numerous nights because, it, you know, like, I'd been three times with you. And, you know, like, I knew these people. Like, these some of these people become my friends yeah. who lived in Africa and were going through this stuff. And, um, And, you know, it's like. You get up there and start talking about it, and all of a sudden you're thinking about these kids. You and it's like it gets overwhelming. And I would never forget. <laughs> I remember like after one of those, you kind of sat down. And you're like, man, so powerful. I'm like, thank you. You're like, I, I, I do feel like if maybe it's about a third as long and maybe just less emotionally charged, <laughs> it might be more powerful. <laughs> and, and then like I, don't I could saying I that. remember. How did you take that? Oh, I was like, oh, I know you're right. I knew immediately. It was like a little heartbreaking, but 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 I could feel like Annie 
Detray, all of the people in my world, my manager, you know, Annie, my wife, were like, yeah, I think he's got a good point. But it's awesome you know? how committed you were well, to it. Yeah, you but, know? you know, those things just, like, one night would be, like, six minutes, six and a half minutes, next night, seven, and I could just feel the yeah. band was like, okay, I feel like you could probably say it just as powerfully, and then we're back into the set. And I yeah. would just see fans like, freaking A, man. We, we, we're going <laughs> to sign up. Yeah. We're in. <laughs> Get in. If you'll just we stop. Are if we are in. All sign up within seven yeah, minutes. Yeah, that, there was a, that, that was such a, it was a cool it was a sweet season. time. You know we what? built it, something together. Yeah. Something, something that was so cool to me about that. This happened not a lot, maybe two or three times, but every time it was so powerful. I'll never forget one night. I don't know if it was New York. Um, I don't know where I was, but I played a show. Maybe Chicago, actually. Now I'm thinking about it. Get done, and one of the security guys who's wa- watching the door comes over to me after. He's like, hey, man. And I was like, yeah. He's like, that was really cool, what you did. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. He's like, you just don't see that a lot. And I was like, that's right. He's working yeah. it every night. Yeah. And mm. I just thought how cool, you know, you'd have these moments where people would like, you know, and then what's crazy now is, you know, not a ton, but probably a handful of people who went into nonprofit work because of those shows, you know, just mm-hmm. because Absolutely. Matt and I or Lady A or whoever <clears throat> was doing that at the time, we're talking about those and kind of lit a fire like in you where you kind of, you know, people go or they'd intern for Mocha Club and African leadership, you know, yeah. that was what was so crazy. I mean, people would just be at a show and go, hey, I need something to do this summer. I'm going to. Live in Nashville for, you know, back when it was affordable. So the days of innocence, right? I mean, it's when we were single and we were going after, you know, things that we wanted to do with our time before we loaded up with Dadville. <laughs> so what what, what got you – so you, you marry Rachel and y'all go to – y'all live in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia for a year, right? Yeah, we – she got a job offer actually to run oh an agency, gosh, if you remember. Right. So I was running Mocha Club from the States. That's right. And she said, I got a job offer. It's while we were engaged. Because she was doing adoption. She was doing adoption. It's while gosh. we were engaged. She got a job offer to run an agency in Ethiopia. And she said, I would. I think we can do this. Let's do this. My response was, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to Ethiopia at the beginning of our marriage. And... I mean, y'all were brand spanking new. Brand spanking new. And we even sat down with our pastor, um, and he told us, he and his wife kind of warned against it. They were saying, wow. like, at the beginning huh. of your marriage, this is yeah. this is a pretty, a it's a lot. That's right. It's yeah. a lot to put into it. But we kind of stepped away from that feeling like, okay, hold on. This is how this is supposed to work. We're supposed to take wisdom from people, but we're supposed to try to learn to work through something together, together yeah. and also somehow try to get a signal from God as to whether this is the right path for us. And over time, we definitely landed on the fact that this is what we're supposed to do. Mm. And you're like, let's go over there. If I see one cactus, we'll move. <laughs> <laughs> or if we meet Bono, and that's still a possibility. <laughs> um, you know, the the fear for us in moving was we need to know that this is what we're definitely supposed to be doing hmm. because if it's if we get there and two months in we're like oh gosh yeah this is terrible this is not what we expected right we needed to feel solidly mm-hmm. that God was behind us on this right yeah. and in fact the first trip so we went there to set up and Rachel basically cried the whole time we were there oh wow um, but. Because we felt like we were certain this is where we're supposed to be. She was able to see through that and know that this is going to be a part of the process. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, well, not even by the end of it, but within a couple of months, we loved living there. That's what it was I the remember. Best. I just we remember every it. time we talked or 
emailed or whatever. You guys, it just felt like they so are happy so there. Happy. Yeah, we we loved it. In fact, we didn't want to move back, but we had to because our visas ran out. Well, I just want to ask as a side note because you, you know, earlier this year we were in Atlanta together, and there was a woman at a restaurant who was Ethiopian, and mm. I forget how you could tell that she was Ethiopian, but but you got you and Rachel just like were so excited. Yeah. And you talked to her and there was like you told her where you lived in Addis and she was like, I know that street. Yeah, you know, we were talking about the streets and the Yeah. yeah. You have such a affinity for the Ethiopian culture and the people are amazing. Yeah, like what is it about Well, Ethiopia's never been colonized. And and, oh, okay. and and so it really maintained its culture. It's one of the few countries that had not. And it really, uh, you know, fact check on that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, and it's one of the few countries because of that that really maintained its own culture. I mean, it's the first uh-huh. country named in the Bible. It's this hmm. massive, rich history. Um, and yeah, there is a look in Ethiopia that you can mm-hmm. kind of tell. Um, but the people there are amazing. Like the, the guys, the taxi cabs would come to... Can you imagine this? A taxi cab would come and pick up kids and take them to the hospital. Mm. But the inevitably, the guy would always get out of the taxi and start playing with the kids, mm. right? And and that is just their culture. They value children mm. deeply huh. as a culture. So you would go to a restaurant, and your kids could run around a restaurant. You could go to the nicest restaurant in town, and kids are running around because that's their culture. Wow. Whereas, you know, they're running up to tables and dates, and people are playing with the kids. Could you imagine uh-huh. that scene in the States? Yeah. You know, mm. what are these kids doing here? So, yeah, yeah. right. Well, did you think of Abel in that first stint there? When we lived there for a year, um, about a year and a half total, because we went back for about a half a year after that oh, in God, total. Oh, about that, yeah. Um, but it was living in Ethiopia where... So I had never seen the commercial sex industry, so mm. up close and personal. Um, speaking of those roads, you were just talking about... I was going to say that... down Victory Road. Go ahead. Well, that No, go, because I remember you, did, y'all lived... Like, sort of close to that area, right? Well, you know, it's not like the United States where the poor are intentionally separated yeah, from the yeah, rich yeah. and city planning yeah. and everything yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So it's everywhere. Wow. Poverty and everybody is intermingled, um, which is good. That's one of the things I loved about it. It made you feel rooted and in, in, in not just being the 1%. Uh, but we, what we would see and what I came to understand is those girls that were sitting on the side of the road and waving at us constantly were actually either women in the commercial sex industry or they were sex slaves, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was outrageous. I mean, completely angry about it. We have to do something about it. So through our work Mm -hmm. with Mocha club, we started supporting uh, a local run ministry that rehabilitated women out of the commercial sex industry Mm -hmm. for like a six month period, gave them, um, healthcare, 75% of them were HIV positive, uh, gave them childcare, job training, et cetera, et cetera. And those were people that were already there doing the work. They were already there doing the work. We just wanted to figure out how to support them. Wow. But the biggest challenge that came to me was, um, the woman that ran it, Cherry said, look, our biggest challenge is, is finding employment for the women after they leave this. And in fact, when you sat down with the women, two things became really, really, really clear. Uh, one is they would say, look, we're able-bodied. We're thankful for the charity, but we need a job. Right. Or yeah, we're going yeah. right back to the streets. Right. And the other thing that you would understand by spending time with the women and hearing their stories, I think, honestly, just as a dumb male, um, 
I I believed that women that had gotten in, into the co- commercial sex industry or prostitution, you know, probably made some bad choices hmm. right. with their life. Right. You know, like, but hey, I understand, you know, and we want to help you. That yeah. was that was Common my miscon- yeah. very, very American mindset. Right. And, and all of a sudden you start hearing their stories. You meet one woman that went into the commercial sex industry to save her sister from breast cancer. Jeez, you hear women's stories about their children and all of a sudden you realize not only were these not bad choices, these were heroic women making yeah, making yeah. choices that I would never even have to conceive making. Right. I, 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 no matter what would happen in my life, I would always fall back on the biggest f- bed of, of feathers Every single well, time. Well, you fall back on a feather on a, on a bed of like multiple opportunities. Right. Choices. Exactly. Choices. Choices. And people mm. that would be surrounding me. Right. And um, so, yeah, that was that was like seminal moment number one. Really saying, I want to help fight with these women. We got to yeah. figure out a way to create jobs for them. Yeah. And so we asked uh, a few of the women, Bezawayu, Mesalu, Mulu. What do you want to do? They all said, we want to do something. What do you want to do? They said, we want to make scarves. So and these are women who are in that program. Profession. Yeah. And we want to learn to make scarves because scarf weaving is an ancient. It's like Queen of Sheba times in yeah. Ethiopia. And they make it on these ancient looms. And it's so know, great that you didn't come in with your idea. Yeah. yeah. Like I, it's it's so great a that you aren't just like treating the the symptoms which is so tempting to do a lot of like charity work you right. know you just want to short term help that you recognize that like this is really about economic opportunity like that's what we need but also that you weren't like oh I know I know what we can do I mean I used to drive a Lexus I know what we can do here <laughs> right but you asked yeah. them what what do you guys want to do? Yeah, if they would have said they started the the whole idea. Yeah, if they would have said we want to be make coffee cups, we'd be a coffee yeah. cup company today. Yeah, you know wh- one of the things, small aside, that was one of the most powerful. I mean, there were a million things that were powerful about going on those trips with y'all to uh, to Africa, but I'll never forget. Um, Larry, we had gotten there for that first trip. Um, I thought you were going to say Mount Words taking a dump in the Masai Mara. That it was powerful in a different way. Uh, <laughs> it was. The woof, there's a lot of stories there. Um, <laughs> the fact that he turned to coward. This is my favorite part of the story. <laughs> this is one of my favorite things about Matt in general. Is his sense of wherewithal is insane, and he literally turned coward. He, he had the guy pull over the jeep in the middle of the Mazamar. Dude is standing out with his gun because it is wide open plains. Yeah, and lions no fear. could be anywhere in this high grass. And he's like, I don't think this is a good idea. And Matt's like, well, it's going to happen in the Jeep or in the it, somewhere else. And he said, okay. So he turns to Coward and says, I know this is going to be funny later. She should probably get pictures of this. <laughs> and walks right. out. Into the, and dude is standing with his gun, put like looking at this, you know, this. Across the morrow. We're just, all scouting. Oh, my God. Matt's like, look. Social media is taking <laughs> off. It, it's going to be around. Someday. This we, is going to be. Pictures of this. So, so the thing that I think was so powerful I have taken this with me. It is one of the most, and and you you did such a good job, sort of, because I remember we talked about this so much after I heard Larry talk about it. But a bunch of kids from Belmont were there. This is on our very first trip, and uh, 
and we were kind of hanging, and you're like, you should go hang and just kind of listen to Larry talk to these kids because it was it was at one of the places we stayed, just kind of out in like their little hang area, you know, outside. And one of the things that he said was, you know, this is one of the things that we get really wrong about these kind of trips. It's like you guys are going to want to come here and feel good and feel productive. So what you're going to do is you're going to do all these jobs that because you see a need and then you just kind of step in and do it and you do it. And he's like, but but let me tell you what happens in that moment. You guys will build a building right in your American way. And when you leave, it probably won't work because that's not how Africa builds buildings. So not only will it not work when you leave, but if you take the time to look around you while you're building that building, you'll see 30 African men sitting there watching you build the building who could be doing the work and getting paid for building a building that will actually work. Right. Yeah. And, and, I, and it was, it, that was an absolute ideological shift for me. Because mm-hmm. his point was, and what you guys work has been ever since, and it's what John is bringing up, that you sat with them. And you said, you guys know your lives, you know your culture, we're here to help you, what do you need help with? And then they tell you, you don't go, hey, let me tell you what we see you need help with. You, you know, know, and, and to, to, to both of y'all's point, it is, man, you got to really work to strip down oh the, my the fact that because you were born into relative wealth and that you have money, there's just an assumption that I know more than the next guy. That's right. That's right. I mean, the smarter, the the more wealthy the people get in the United States. I always find, you know, all of a sudden you have an exit with a big company. You don't know just about the company that you sold, the, uh, you know, the book publishing company you sold. You now know everything right. about everything. everything. <laughs> right. And, and to your point, that's how we go over there. I have, I've had to work to deconstruct that for a long time. It is, but, it is. But, but, and that's your point that that's, that's, I think the most, potent takeaway for me was exactly what you just said was this realization that this this really isn't and this sounds this is like the first thing they say on any mission trip or any trip like that is it's not about you but you go okay sure but but then you're out there working you're like i feel great in that moment it's still about you and i think like what we had to realize and what you guys did such a good job on those trips with and it's how you do your work still is we really are here to serve like really serve, not just serve ourselves and go home and feel good because you got pictures of a house you built and the kids standing in the house and you feel good because you did a thing. Mm-hmm. It's ser- That's not actually serving anybody well. And I think I learned that lesson every time that I went with y'all on those trips was like they weren't work trips, which in a weird way was kind of frustrating because you wanted to feel something. You know, yeah. you wanted to go. And, and I'll never forget every time you'd sit with us before the trip and you go, hey, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go sit with people. We're going to meet people. Because it's listen. not about what you accomplish on this trip. It's, it's about, about what you accomplish exactly after right. it. Yeah. And I but think, you're like, but I'm the hero of the story. That's exactly yeah. right. How am I going to That's like, exactly right. Moment? But I think those were those were life-changing trips for me because I think they really reshaped how I think about relief work, about ser- like genuinely serving people, not serving myself, serving people. But really, right, and right, I think right. those trips were so confusing in wonderful ways because we would literally go sit with people and listen, ask a ton of questions. We wouldn't do anything. We just kind of sit. Okay, that's oh wow. Let's see okay. what bubbles out of yeah. That. And yeah. then we'd come back home, and then that's when the work began. Like you said, and how that's do we when help the Mocha them? Club began. Right, that's right, when, right. Yeah. So it's a it's it's to your point. There is so much work. There's so much discipline you have to do as a person, as an American, especially 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 a white American going over there, going like I can solve some problems. Yeah, boy. Let me let me tell you what I'm scoping here, folks. Yeah, I got some ideas <laughs> we for got, you. I got some ideas. Yeah, and and the 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 last note I would say about that is, you know, charity is important. Yeah. The challenge is is having lived over there is you see that charity often goes too far. 
Whereas the intention of charity should be able, be able to help people get off the ground, so to speak, to uh-huh. get out of destitution. Mm. It should at some point convert to now equipping. Yeah, right. yeah, right? yeah, right, right. There's just not a lot of kind of those minds involved in mm. development work. It's yeah. most people that go over are in that charity side. Mm. And the more you talk to people, the the community engagement element that you're talking about, 99% of them are like, hey, I just need a job. Yeah. 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 I'm able bodied. Yeah, I got right. You right. know, I can do this. I have skills and everything. That that was the thing that, that I think is I, I look at that and I'm like, it, it's just so much more work. Like equipping people is actual real work. It's yeah. not relief work. It's not you go in for a season and you come home. It's like it's a different energy. It's a different and it's a different business. It's a different industry. You're really committed to it. You're staying there. You have probably people that live there if you don't yourself live there to help facilitate the work. And so it's a very different thing. Well, and I we think were fortunate to have, you know, great friends that we had made that were Ethiopian that ran the work. So mm-hmm. when we came back and couldn't live there any longer, we had, for example, Fortuna, mm-hmm. um, you know, start a leather factory and started employing, you know, by within a year, it was employing 60 women, um, all making a living wage. So, yeah, it grew pretty quickly early on. And so how did Abel, how did, how did Abel get to where it is now? You, it's all you. Well, I don't, <laughs> geez, that was fast, but I'm not going to push back on that. <laughs> I'm not. Um, you know, when it's, it, it was around a time. So Tom, Sh- Tom shoes had mm-hmm. opened this wide berth for people thinking about their purchase, having an impact. And, you know, Tom's and Blake will admit now there's things they could have done differently. We all can, but what they did do is create a really wide door for everybody to walk through mm-hmm. Um, that wanted to sell something that could be doing good. Their model was the charitable side, which is you buy something, we'll give something away in charity. Our model that I think people started resonating was with was born out of a simple philosophy that if you're going to be serious about solutions to poverty, mm. you have to create jobs and you have to do it for women. Mm-hmm. That is that is a socially, scientifically proven fact mm. that women invest more in their families and their communities than do men. And so wow. knowing that, that was us being serious and that was our approach. And in that concept of creating jobs, people started getting on board. So we made scarves and then made a leather bag. And then all of a sudden, Jessica Alba was wearing it. Mm. Julianne Huff posted it. Annie Barnes. Drew Barrymore. <laughs> Annie Barnes. Yeah. Um, it did Annie Barnes um, <laughs> was wearing it. Um who else? I mean, Olivia Wilde, Kristen Bell put it in People Magazine. Jeez. And so that's really what got us launched is a, a, a group of women that just said they passed them around, mm. you know. And so there's that podcast that um, what's it called? How I Built This, where they always ask oh, yeah. the question, of, do, you, do you feel like it was luck or skill, you know? And I think it's different for everybody. I think a lot of people had some really strategic plans and they lived them out. And some people like it's lucky. Mine would so easily be luck you know there was no there was no uh strategy or plan to get it in those hands it just did johnny and dave that was oh i like that hey dave yes hang on oh Ooh, do you smell that? I do. You know, it's I smell a couple things. One, yeah. with the rock is cooking, and two, yeah. also the sweet, sweet smell of chardonnay. 
Mm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Dave, what is your favorite thing to grill? Now, people ask me this all the time. All the time. And I'm I can't sure. walk down 12 South without somebody, Dave, oh, good, good to meet you. What, what do you like to grill? And people wouldn't know this from what I wear because I'm kind of a regal dresser yeah. and a man of um, regal enunciated verbiage and impressive yep. verbiage. But I'm mm-hmm. actually a simple grill man. I go yep. for a classic burger or ribeye or, you know, just I keep it simple, John. Simple, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, this summer, Dave. Okay. Why don't you add some power players Ooh, to your grilling lineup more, with Butcher Box? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Butcher Box is the subscription service that delivers high quality meat and seafood right to your doorstep. Don't tell me that. They don't, don't deliver it anywhere else. Okay. Just right to your doorstep. <laughs> it makes it so much easier when they do that. Choose from a carefully curated selection of 100% grass fed beef, free range organic chicken, wild caught seafood, and more. And right now, John, new yeah. subscribers can receive a free grilling bundle in their first order that's crazy yeah every month butcher box ships a curated selection of high quality meat right to your home your here. doorstep again yes, i no. want to reiterate that yeah. it's gonna be at you the doorstep you don't have to go looking around the neighborhood for it <laughs> it's not in the side yard <laughs> plus there's free shipping for the continental united states oh man that's a it's, it's a like company too good that, to be true they just give and give and give yep so each box is packed fresh and shipped frozen for your convenience so you can save time on your next grocery store trip you can customize your own box with one of theirs you know because they don't care it's yep. like art but meat art <laughs> can we buy that domain either way you get exactly what you want that's right get summer sizzling Ooh. started Ooh. with this special butcher Ooh, box okay. deal for our listeners yep Free bacon for the life of your membership. Oh, Plus, I'm not done. Tell me. $10 off. What? No. I do know. you really mean that? I do, and gosh. they do. Oh, gosh. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dadville and use code dadville to get one pack of free bacon in every box for the life of your membership. membership. Plus $10 off your first order. That's butcherbox.com slash dadville and use the code dadville to claim this amazing deal. Get off your buns and do it, bunny. Such a cool part of that story, though, that women who had been doing, uh, who had been working, using their bodies in ways that they didn't want to, to make a, either provide money for someone else, their kids themselves, whatever, are making bags that are so well made that women in America who are celebrities are going, I don't just love this bag, it's a cool story, like, I just love his bag. Yeah, they just love his bag. Right, right. It was a really cool bag. So your your proof of concept is amazing, because you're going to people going, hey, Again, this is our story, folks. Like women, well, again, know you, how you to say do this. my proof of concept. Uh, we'll go to Amber Lehman now, uh, our friend Amber Lehman, who's a stylist, and my uh, proof of concept was like Amber. There's these scarves. Okay, now let's start doing these beaded necklaces. Do you remember those paper beaded necklaces? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm like Amber. <laughs> Everybody is doing them. They are selling like crazy. <laughs> They, they're colorful. They have multiple colors. Even some beads have multiple colors. Wow. And wow. she just looked at <laughs> me with that, with that <laughs> Amber Lehman strength and said, Barrett, we are not doing this. <laughs> and I am a good enough listener. If yeah, I do anything yeah, well is yeah. listening to my smart friends. But that's and the thing. that Like you say, it was it skill or was it luck? It was luck. But I'm like, well, no. I, it, it was... Yeah. The 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 yes. integral ingredient is uh, I don't know what we call it is like security listening lack of ego mm. I mean that was the integral in- ingredient in all of this it's like from the very beginning when you asked those couple women in Ethiopia what would you guys want to do and they were like 
scarves because it has ancient history. All that, all this stuff that you wouldn't know, you know, like it's just a series of letting that lead the decision making. You know, like taking yourself, being secure enough to let other people who should be making the decisions, make the decisions, all that kind of stuff. Which also may be aided. I mean, first of all, I do want to affirm my humility is amazing. Um, <laughs> but, but, it's really um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, That's the title uh, of the it's somewhat, somewhat of a joke is, but serious too, is I knew nothing of fashion. You right. know, like I, you guys know, I don't know how to dress myself and that Rachel does right. that every morning. Um, I do want to so say, got, uh, and I see, I'm lucky enough to hang out with Barrett Ward multiple times every week. I can't remember the last time you weren't wearing those shorts. <laughs> These Viore shorts? Yeah. I just wear them when I'm around you. And I know you, you look love great. my Viore shorts. Look, Thank you look you. great. Yeah. You do look great. Yeah. Do I get a affiliate fee off of that? Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Probably yeah. not. We'll see. Go ahead. Probably not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, is our, this is our podcast. But it is that spirit of that has been able to, you know, let Abel flourish because you're not trying to make it something. Well, too, I think the thing that's I, I think is so remarkable is that you are so. I mean, I know you did the 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 y'all did your push with um uh show your wages right? Yeah. Oh yes, I really but wanted like, to talk about. That. But like one of the things that's so cool about that is you have been so consistent to your goal. Like you, you not mm-hmm. just have women that, that you are helping get out of these scenarios. Now in the States, you're doing this with women that work here in your, in, in the, you know, at able here in Nashville, mm-hmm. but you, I mean, what percentage of your staff is women? It's almost 90 something percent. It's like you and then all the women. Yeah. So I the think only, only guy right uh, now and, and our staff at, um, at able, we're probably about 97%. That's women. what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think what's so cool about what you're doing is it's not just a concept that you're going like, Hey, let me sort of pitch this idea of like we're empowering women to do. It's like you look, you lift the lid on your work, and it's like, oh yeah, no, that's that's happening. Well, and I'll say this, you know, with that statistic, the truth of it is, we live in Nashville, Tennessee, and the the the, the most qualified person every single time to do the work at Able has been a woman. It's yeah. not been an intention of hiring women over men. Um, the truth of it is, is the the mission mm-hmm. of it. It is a also a women's fashion company mm. um, attracted that kind of top tier right. talent all really all around from the country um, or all over the country, I should say. And, you know, for me personally, like I said, I don't know anything about fashion there. If I didn't start it, my only job security at Able is that I started it. Mm. Um, <laughs> in other words, I would never be able to get a job there. I feel the right. same at Dave Barnes right. Rocks Incorporated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, so it, will, will you talk about publish your wages a little bit? Because I, when you guys did this. A couple years ago, I remember thinking, and I, I said this to you, I'm, I, I know, like, and I truly mean this. Like, I was like, one of my really good friends is doing something that's like changing the world. Thank You're you. You're doing something. Thank you so much. And then now to get to Barrett. <laughs> yeah, back to say, Barrett. Uh, this is his podcast. Yeah, sorry. It's just <laughs> what you're doing in the <laughs> so space. Thank you. That bridge, um, key change in that bridge. I know. It's I know. powerful. I know. Thank you. It's powerful. It's like a beaded <laughs> necklace. Um, <laughs> Colorful beaded. But yeah, I just want you to talk about it because it was, it, like, give a little context of, like, what the fashion industry as a whole, the culture of it, and then how you guys, like, really went against that. Which I have to say, the irony to me that you are doing fashion with the with the 
point of your business to be empowering women, and yet it's in fashion, yeah. which is maybe the most. <laughs> yeah, right. There is an. It's irony really there. interesting. Yeah, it it is. You know, as we um, as we started growing as a company, we started to see we we could actually have some influence on this space, and mm-hmm. and probably one of the biggest instigators was watching a film called True Cost on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's still there, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I probably watched that in about 2016, and you start finding out things about the worldwide fashion industry. So we were basically only employing women through our work in Ethiopia and our work here in Nashville. So we work with women that have also come over extraordinary, overcome extraordinary circumstances in Nashville to make our jewelry. And um, and so when you start to learn about the the global fashion industry, one of the most compelling statistics is that it is the largest industrial employer of women in the world. Estimates around 75 million women that make the clothes that all of us wear, wow. but that only 2% of them earn a living wage, which basically means 2% that only that 98% of the clothes we wear are made by people that cannot make ends meet. They work Jeez. two jobs, 60, 70 hours a week, still trying to make, you know, working two, three jobs even. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of unacceptable, right? Not even yeah. kind of unacceptable. It's right. completely unacceptable. Um, and so, which I I did not know that. Yeah. Before being friends with you, and like you know, it now changes my perception of like when I find some shirt. That's, that's a great deal. Three dollars. Right. Like, I'm like before I was like sweet. That's if, a win. If you're getting a great deal, a they win. may not be. Um, right. Mm-hmm. So wow. at the end of the day, the the thought was, how do we change that? Yeah. We we can't – I think the frustration for me was, look, it's nice to run our own brand and have the impact that we're having on the people that work alongside us and our partners. But this is 75 million women in the world. This is an entire industry and even really how manufacturing in the world is done with all things, right? It's that yeah. super cheap labor. That's why we outsourced all of it to the rest of the world right. because it was too expensive here. Excuse me. Well. Um, and so we'll, we'll boost that. Yeah. <laughs> editing. Um, and so for, for me, I started talking to our publicist and I said, look, I got an idea. What if we publish our lowest wages, not our average wages? Cause an average wage takes in people that are making plenty. So you don't have visibility to the, the lowest wage to right. the lowest people on the right. totem pole and the most vulnerable. Um, what if we published our lowest wages so that we could really challenge other brands to do the same thing? And he looked at me and said, what the hell is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to sink your ship? I said, man, I don't think so. I think our consumers are ready for that. I think, right. I think consumers know this. With an age of social media exposure, they're starting to see that there's probably some stuff behind the curtain that they don't know that's not good, but they want to know. Yeah. And, I, and, and you know, the, the moment we published our wages that day, I didn't sleep that night. I was kind of worried that we might have mm. sunk our ship. Yeah. But when we did it, you saw consumers reacting exactly how we expected. They were applauding. Because yeah. we weren't saying our entire supply chain is 100% living wage. That's not possible in its current status of manufacturing, but we were working to get everybody there. Yeah. We were showing our consumers the pathway to get there, and we were saying, let's lead the way and, and be exposed. And I think, you know, to your point, Dave, that the, the roots of all that are in the fact that we were a nonprofit. We didn't start this thing to make money in the first place. Mm. 
you know, in 2014, our lawyers told us that we had to become a for-profit mm -hmm. because of the, you know, you know that stuff, mm -hmm. like uh, unrelated business income tax. You're familiar with that, Dave. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> but you're always talking about that. <laughs> but um, so that we had to become a for-profit, which to me, as you guys both know my story well, landed me uh, in a very mm -hmm. stressed situation in yeah. 2014 of playing tennis with you and saying, how do you keep your sanity when things aren't going well? Um, and, uh, you know, spending most of that year in fetal position on the bathroom floor. Mm, yeah. Um, but eventually leveled out, uh, you know, got some good therapy, maybe even a little, little Lexapro in there for a period of time. <laughs> hey, Lexapro, um, you know what I'm saying? Lexapro. Lexapro. Um, <laughs> Um, to just kind of help me get through that season that was really hard for me. And, um, and then we came out of it and, and man, I don't even remember why I t started telling that story. Oh, just to say when, in that 2014 period, there was just three of us trying to figure it out, but in becoming a for-profit, that was a massive paradigm shift for me because I kind of was in the space of only thing you could do good if you're in the nonprofit right. space. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and then within four years, we had a hundred employees at ABLE. Jeez. And, um, and so that for-profit mindset allowed us to scale but still maintain our impact. And I can tell you this. It doesn't matter if you are non-profit or for-profit. It, it matters what type of human you are, where your integrity is, and how you're going to run whatever you're doing. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. you can always do it all to the glory of yourself mm. right. or, or, right. or, or not. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, a question I have you. You have four daughters. How did your life is? I'm sitting here, sort of giggling in my brain. You are literally a man island <laughs> in a sea of women in your life. I mean, you must be you, so uncomfortable being in a room with two with, such masculine. I was going to say a <laughs> lot of energy in here. I was about to say it is your there. lack of masculinity that makes me <laughs> okay, feel that's very comfortable. That makes you feel comfortable. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your massages. You guys um, both give great. Massages. But like, Thanks. how how does that inform with your daughters? You know, again, you, you are one man in a house of four other women. You're a you're one of a couple of men in a 100 person women, you know, run Led business. Company, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so like, how does that inform how you think about your daughters, how you relate to them, your sort of wants and hopes for them? Like, how does that sort of translate into your family? You know. I, I mean, first of all, at a very simple level, I love that they come and visit Able. Mm. I love that they spend time with the women. I love that it gives them a vision for um, what they can do with their lives, you yeah. know? Yeah. But I think just like any of us, you know, as a recovering workaholic, as a, I shouldn't say any of us, but for me, as a recovering workaholic and moneyholic and, and, and the wrong pursuits, I feel pretty pretty strongly that I don't want them to think that work is where all their fulfillment will come from. Mm -hmm. And I see that a lot. I see young people come to me and say, man, it must be so fulfilling to do your work. I'm like, you know, some days, hmm. some days it's mostly it's, it's just work, <laughs> you know, and, um, and I enjoy it because I enjoy the people that I work with. Yeah. But it's not like every day I get a story from around the world that's yeah. changing. And even if I did, those disconnected stories, if that gave you all this pride and quote unquote joy, it, it probably isn't balanced, right? Mm. Because the real balance is in our daily relationships, our relationships with our spouses and children, 
how are all those things going? That's where my real, so when people ask me about fulfillment and work, I'm like, eh, I reserve most of that word for my family. Mm-hmm. And I do have moments of joy in my business. And, and, and I do, you know, yeah. just two weeks ago, we had a woman had her year, year anniversary and told me her story for the first time that she came to Abel after having been in prison, found out she was pregnant in prison, her two children and they with twins, they got taken to um, foster care. She said she got out of prison, uh, went through rehabilitation, and got a job with Abel, and she was able to get all of her children back, right? So those moments are extraordinary, but it's not like moment-by-moment fulfillment. Yeah, you don't have an employee coming in every hour going, next story, you know, and you're (laughs) like, yes. Exactly. Hey, Dave. Yeah. No, I'm just responding to you. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Can I tell you something? Please. Okay. As dads, we yep. know it can be hard to have a meaningful moment in the home. Oh, I my know goodness. that. Well, in particular, let yep. me just say, let me one-up you. Okay. We know it can be hard to pull everyone together on the weekend, not to mention for a Sabbath practice. And I don't want to do this, but I'm going to one-up you one more time. That's why we really <laughs> like this new resource called Sabbath Box. Sabbath Box. Yep. It helps you. I said it first. It helps you stop and enjoy God with each other. Now, as a dad slash parent, which is how I refer to myself all the time, especially in public, having something tangible is key to reminding us each week to stop and have a meaningful moment with our family. And the Sabbath box is just that, Dave. I'm going to I'm gonna keep one up in you. I don't mean Please. to. But the box is it. durable enough for the kids to interact with. You don't have to yep. worry about that. But the best part is that it makes us stop each week and spend some intentional time together. That's great. Now, here's the way it works. Okay. Okay. The box sits on a shelf mm-hmm. or it can hang on the wall. Yep. It's versatile. Yep. Right? All week long, it says, create and cultivate, reminding us of the good of work. Mm. Then, on the day that you've decided to stop and enjoy each other, you flip the box top over, and it says, stop and enjoy. Oh, I love that. The box comes with a five-week guide to teach you about Sabbath, and it includes prayers and scripture you can read. It's all right there. So, if you've ever wanted to start a Sabbath, but you haven't, Mm -hmm. Sabbath box is for you. And... If you have a Sabbath practice, but you want to increase the intentionality or take it to the next level, one-up it, Yep, you might say, the Sabbath box helps you do just that. We love it. You should go get it. Visit goodkind.shop and use the code DADVILLE at checkout for 20% off a Sabbath box. That's goodkind.shop and use the code DADVILLE at checkout for 20% off a Sabbath box. Well, I will say that you are... Like you are a a great example to me, which is it's helpful to me in my life to kind of like as someone who who I'm looking to to remind me to keep that balance, because I don't know anyone who is more easily able, seemingly on the outside, easily able to just switch off work and immediately go into like home dad husband yeah. life than you. Yeah, that, like I there's no that. part of you seemingly on the outside. Who wants to hang on to work when you walk through the front door? You are just like you are done with work and you are like fully dad mode when you get home. That is a that is a really hard thing to I do. I appreciate that. Um and what you see on the outside uh is exactly the same as what's on the inside. Um you nailed it. You got it. Now I, I you know, the truth of it is it's been a discipline that I've wanted to develop over the years. Yeah. Um one of the key it sounds so small but one of the key things that i'm reminded of that i started doing early on when i had kids is if they came in the room if i was working on something uh-huh. shut it mm-hmm. if it was my computer i never wanted to say to my child 
let me just finish this email. Let me just yeah. do this. Can we just talk about that? That just that for a second. So, I have you know my little writer's shed in the backyard, right? And I, you're, and you're my inspiration for this. I mean, you both are great at this. Like, I want to, I want to lock that door a lot. Like when they're out and there, and I don't want to, and I don't want to put out there that it's unreasonable to. But it's a, it's, but it's it, a but great it's a, goal to aspire to. It's a great goal to aspire to. I want to. my kids to be like in their first year at college, talking to their new roommates and and talking about their dad and being like, yeah, that door was always open. <laughs> Yeah. Always. And yeah. He, we would always go in there. And if it wasn't, school. we would get the window and we would just break the window. But I'm like, that is so tough. Because, because, because when because you're working on something and you're you're like, I, they just came in and I want to talk about school. I want to do all that. But it's just so hard to shut down what I'm working on. Because the driver for me in that moment is is if I really intellectually process what I'm working on that I want to tell them to wait for me on, 99 times out of 100, it is completely unimportant what I'm doing. Right. It is not urgent. But it's tough to recognize that and remember that in real time. Yeah. Because I think in those moments, well, like, that's the micro. The macro is, I mean, yeah, sure. There are some times where, like, if I'm, cutting a vocal or something like that i like i might need to just finish that up right now i've warm you know whatever but overall it's like what do i am i am i needing to get what i need from this from work or from my family and i feel like you're a great example you both are again of like but focusing mainly at barrett's in the first place um of getting that from your family. Yeah. And I just don't find in, and again, I think the real easy thing to do is kind of debate it and go, yeah, but you know, there's times where you got to do this, this and this. Okay. That's fine. But here's what I've learned practically that for myself, when I do that, I never am worried about what I didn't finish. Mm. Right. And I feel really, it's not going to let me down. And I always feel really centered. You know, it's kind of the, another discipline like that um, is playing Barbie. So as you mentioned, I have four daughters. And playing Barbies is not anything that I inherently enjoy. It, it is actually amazing to watch what they're what doing. What if they had like little able backpacks though? Would that change it? <laughs> that would. Let's okay. work on that. Um, so, but so I'll do that. And so this kind of is a cheesy thought, but so I, I try to picture like heavenly father relationship to me and mm-hmm. his interest in me. And mine and my children, and how do those look? Mm-hmm. So in that moment, if it's not interesting to me, but I can take joy in it, mm-hmm. but like real and genuine joy in playing with them, that feels kind of similar because I doubt like if if I'm God for a second looking down at Barrett, I don't think God's thinking, man, what he's doing is so fascinating to me. I have never thought of what he's doing. <laughs> But instead, he's like, no, he's looking over at the, you know, at the Holy Spirit going, nah, I don't. I mean, I, I created that. I've seen I've seen that done like a billion times. Right. But I still love pleasuring and watching Barrett do it. Right. Right. Because it's Barrett doing it. And I yeah. love him. And so if I can kind of resemble that with my children, where I really get to a place where I am enjoying mm-hmm. playing Barbie. Right. With them, which yeah. girls, I do love it. If you're listening to this. Yeah. 
you know, that that to me is getting centered. So I'm just looking for those yeah. little moments that I can kind of use as a barometer. Yeah, like knock you back into Yeah, the, to knock me yeah. back into the center a little bit. Yeah. That is so, I mean, I'm telling you that I don't know if there is anything, I have to think about this. Uh, it is on my top three hardest things to do as a parent is playing things with them. Because that, I mean, this is a little bit of the Enneagram world, but like the seven in me, uh-huh. like I don't, I do not like being trapped. I don't like feeling right. like I'm in a moment that I don't enjoy and I can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. And man, like when it's like, will you play Barbie for 30 minutes? I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, but the funny oh thing is. Oh my gosh, here we go. It never lasts 30 minutes. It they doesn't. don't have that. I, but I always, I, I try to tell myself like, okay, whatever it is. Because if, if one of my daughters says the phrase like, daddy, will you play with me? I mean, uh, yes, I'm going. To, uh, how can I say no to that? Right. Do I want to do whatever activity it is that we're going to do? Probably not. Like like you're saying, like I wouldn't I wouldn't do this on my own, you know. So I'm not going to do also I'm never going to get it right. They're very micromanagerial <laughs> with their playing. Yes. I'm never holding the thing right. They're giving me my lines. I'm God. not saying it right. But I tell myself I'm like, "All right, just 10 minutes. Just do, just do 10 minutes." And then if that turns into 20 minutes. No, that's fine. exactly right. But it'll probably be after like seven minutes, they'll, they'll yeah. move on to something else or whatever. That's but, right. But, but is, I, is, I have that mentality man, too. Like, I don't want to be tough. trapped. That is really hard. Or, or one other barometer is how often I'm saying, uh, Daddy, can I play with you? Yes. First, here's my phone. <laughs> when I'm saying that, I have fully right. fallen off the wagon. And Daddy's going to set a timer for. 45 minutes. Okay, when this goes off. Yeah. Yeah. Then start watching TV, please. Yeah. (laughs) So have you found with the girls, because your girls are far in this, I mean, like age-wise, you have 18, 18, 11, 9, 6. Do you find that with the younger two, because there's the discrepancy, well, really, especially with with the youngest, that you're like, I'm actually employing things I've learned with the older ones to my younger ones. Do you find, like, you're like, I learned some things, or is it just uh-huh. different with all of them? Um, I'm sure my eldest Howie would tell you that I've been crushing it from day one. Define <laughs> um, crushing it. Uh, like destroying. <laughs> um, not doing well. Yeah, I mean, certainly it's it's a learning process, right? Um, but that's that's like anything else. Do you find that with the girls, though? Because it I is- think the biggest thing is not what you're getting wrong. What, what, what's that... What's that um, saying from Insight or some something like that where he says it's not the tear, it's the repair? Oh, it's not yes, the rip, yes, it's yeah, the yes, repair. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it is. That that's what it's all about. It's 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 not even as much. What am I learning to employ with the next child? That's just going to happen naturally on mm. anything. But it's moreover, am I? Yeah, going right after the repair. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's it's. That's a good word. I can't I can't imagine a house full of that many girls. I mean, it's the it best. just, I, I, I imagine on the days where it's amazing, it's like the best thing ever. And then I have like these, like my eye starts twitching on days where it's a little off. It would feel like just like a circus. Dude, I think it's the best. Like uh, I, one of my favorite moments is I was taking Lena. I take the girls to school every morning. I was taking Lena and Marion to um, Waverly Belmont. Mm-hmm. And Lena was struggling with focus. I start to laugh because I, you guys know Lena. So she was struggling with focus in class and all of a sudden she 
had her teacher report back to me that she had a great day. She just really paid attention and was listening well. And so I turned back to Lena, who at that point was probably eight and Marion was six. And I said to Lena, honey, I just wanted to say the teacher told me about how great of a job you did focusing in class yesterday. And I'm just so proud of you. And this is what it's like to have girls. Marion I'm looking in the rearview mirror. Marion turns to Lena and says, Lena, I love you. I am oh so proud gosh. of you. <laughs> you are about to wreck because you're crying <laughs> I so hard. Right into the pole. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just, I mean, that is the joy of it. Like, uh, watching they love each other so well. And I wish all the listeners right now could know all your daughters. Like, could know Marion and Lena and their personalities right now. I can Because totally that, that is the thing about the Ward House is you're not talking about four girls who are kind of like, you know, like, oh, they're just little iterations of each other. It is a very lot of different yeah. personalities. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And strong personalities. You're right. You know, so, That's I mean, right. you guys have such a, you have you have such a fun way of dealing. You know, it's just, it's like, again, they're not sort of like, oh, this is how the ward girls are. It's like, there's it a flavor a forever. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about like filming it, having your own show kind of thing? Oh my gosh. I've posted 16 times on Instagram. That's 16? impressive. That's yeah. almost 17 So I'm on my times. way to a TV show, right? Yeah. That's what they're <laughs> looking is, for. They'll be calling it. developed a brand. Yeah. It's a short TV show. Yeah. Um, okay. So we, we, um, we always ask at the end of the show two questions mm. um, to buckle up. Mm-hmm. First question um, is, what is the first question? <laughs> Do I want to? What do you love your children? You want me to ask the first? I'll ask the first question. <laughs> what do you want your kid? What's the one thing you want your daughters to know? There we go. What is the one thing you want your daughters to know? Um, you know, I I think that I I lived. You know, I talked about what my story up into that kind of cataclysmic thirty year old faith moment. I was trying to live a life that was I could be loved, regard or or, or despite the things uh-huh. that weren't good about me. Mm. Um, and I just want my daughters to know that they are loved regardless, you know, yeah, of wow. any mistakes they make or, you know, that, that, that they, they, they don't see reactions out of me of condemnation for the things that are just life, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's a hard, hard goal to hit, but yeah, that yeah. that's what I want them to feel is that they are loved regardless. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay, second question. Is that the That's best? That's the right answer. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. We had a different answer for you, but that one works. <laughs> Go uh, ahead. We'll take it. I'm, we can, I'm a good we listener. We can feed it. Tell we me. Can feed, yeah. uh, second question, what do you want your girls to say at your funeral? Wow. At my funeral. Um, 60 years from now. That dad was able to grow another six inches before he died. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we had never seen it before, um, but just in his eighties, he really had a just growth spurt. really had a growth spurt. Um, you know, I I hope that they say that they really number one enjoyed their childhood. Number two, that they that that we were friends, that we mm. had such an open relationship. And I'm really thankful that I do have the seedlings of that happening mm. with their their youth. I, I mean. Um, you know, I'm talking about periods. I'm talking mm-hmm. about all those things. Yeah. And and I love that. Um, so I hope that they feel like that I was a friend that they could count on for all mm-hmm. things. So yeah. that's probably it. What about you guys? 
What's your answer? Oh, no, no, no. This you can't not, do that. No, this oh, yeah? Is, yeah, yeah this I is, can't. We don't do that here. Podcast. We, we ask questions. Okay. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> Dead fish.